You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Okay, you ready for the Word of God this morning? Awesome. Let's open up to 1 John chapter 2, the end of chapter 2 this morning. 1 John chapter 2, we've been making our way through this letter from the Apostle John at the end of his life. And two weeks ago, we talked about competing loves, how the Lord, the Lord's will for your life is for him to be the preeminent love over your life and for there to be no other competing loves that even hold a candle to our burning love for the Lord. This morning, I want to talk about divine privilege, the privileges that we have as children of God. I would say as parents, you know, one of our great responsibilities is, is to teach our kids gratitude, to teach our kids um, to look around, to count their blessings, to realize how much has been given to them, right? Because every generation is meant to essentially stand on the ground that other generations have established for them, amen? That's what, it's just a, a principle from generation to generation, even in the natural, that God has set into the, into the world. And so, you know, there is this, Common, uh, kind of common um, way of teaching our kids to appreciate what they've been given by almost creating a lore about how hard life was when we were kids, right? We all do it. You know you do it. We all do it. And so I was reminded of what Bill Cosby said. Go ahead and throw that up there. He said when his dad was, uh, when he, he was a kid, his dad had to walk to school at four o'clock every morning with no shoes on, uphill both ways, in five, five feet of snow, and he was thankful. It's like, we did that, but we liked it. Uh. And we all kind of do that as we talk about thankfulness to our kids, gratitude around the table or whatever. Go ahead and throw that next one up. So the lore has grown, and uh, now these sorts of memes float, float around. There's a rare photograph of my parents on their way to school. That's the way it kind of grows in our minds. And if you're a parent in this place, you even know you almost like, you do throw a little extra in there to make sure they know how hard it was. And then as people get even older, like into their grandparent years, go ahead and throw that last one up. Like the lore continues to grow. That is your grandpa on his way to school. And grandparents, I'm sure, they just have a blast with it. There's always like seeds of truth in there, but they, they grow and it's all meant to stoke humility in the next generation. It's all meant to stoke a sense of gratitude. You can, throw that, you can take that off. Gratitude in the hearts of the next generation. So this morning, I want you to picture old Apostle John, because here he is, probably late into his 90s. And he is speaking with that sort of grandfatherly wisdom to the church. He has this kind of grandfatherly tenderness, desiring to stoke gratitude and a sense of blessing upon this next generation of the church. And so I pray that it would hit us that way this morning, that the Lord would open our eyes to realize how much has been given to us. We've been given these divine privileges that I pray would um, sober us up, wash over us with humility, 
to walk in the fullness of what the Lord has, has given to us, that we wouldn't live entitled, that we wouldn't live, we wouldn't live at a lower level, but we would live with a sense of gratitude and the fullness of what the Lord has for us. Amen? Let's receive this from the Lord. Let's pray before we open up and read 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 26. Lord, we pray we'd, we'd receive your word this morning with gratitude, with tenderness, with op- open hearts, as we sang earlier. We'd be so open to correction from our Heavenly Father, from your word. We'd be open for just recalibration, even the stirring up of these things afresh in a new way. I pray in your mighty name, do a work individually and do a work corporately in our midst. That's what I've been praying as we were praying with the elders earlier. I believe there's individual works the Lord wants to do in hearts, even divine appointments that he's orchestrated for this morning. But there's also a corporate work the Lord is doing in our midst. That means together, a collective work, a unified work amongst us all. Lord, we want to receive it all in your mighty name, amen. Let's look at this, starting in verse 26. He says this, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So I want to start by talking about the deceptive ways of the enemy. And we began to talk about this last, last time we were in 1 John in the spirit of the Antichrist that he, that he alluded to in just the, prior, the verses just prior to that. There is this spirit of the age, which is the um, spirit at work in the flesh and in this uh, secular world that is tempting us, luring us away from first love to the Lord. And it's a deceptive, it is a deceptive spirit trying to lure our eyes away from the sufficiency of Christ, the beauty of Christ. And John talks about it earlier in 1 John 2, and he's going to talk about it later in 1 John 4. And some of these, um, these voices luring us away from first love for Christ are doing it explicitly, they're doing it knowingly, and many, many others are doing it without knowing. Like they're just going about their thing, but they're luring many people away to, to other loves and pulling their eyes away from, from Christ. And so John, in his grandfatherly voice, says, do not be deceived. He's going to say it again later. Don't be deceived. Here is the thing about deception. It's deceptive. (laughs) Right? No one is knowingly deceived. And so there is like, there's a level of deception which is like blind spots. It's like having something stuck to the front of your tooth. It's just blind spot that everyone kind of, everyone else sees, but you're maybe oblivious to. That's one level of deception. But another level of deception is actual embrace of twisted truths and embrace of false doctrines and false notions about who God really is, false ideas of the Lord, and coming to agreement with those things. That's a whole other level of deception. And John is, is again and again throughout this book because he's been around a while. Like he's seen things come and go within the church. He's wanting their eyes to be open to and for them to be humble before the Lord, for them to be continually be open to correction so that they would not fall into deception. So 
I want, I want us to heighten our senses this morning to, to grow in our humility before the Lord, to grow in our humility. Just this last week, um, at Jesus School, we had Pastor Dave Olson up from Ankeny. He's a pastor down in the Ankeny area. And he made a charge to Jesus School students to seek the Lord for wisdom because we need wisdom in our age. We need, we need the power of God, we need the love of God, but honestly, we need the wisdom of God. And in scripture, there are these continual invitations for us to ask the Lord for wisdom. In, in Pro, the beginning of the book of Proverbs, there is that, that invitation. Seek wisdom like silver, something precious to be sought after, and the Lord is so good to answer that cry. In, in the book of James, that invitation is given to us to ask the Lord for wisdom. And don't doubt, do it with faith, knowing he's gonna, this father of lights, he gives these good and perfect gifts. There's no shadow of changing in his, in his character. So ask the Lord for wisdom. And we need wisdom in our age so we don't fall into deception. Amen. And so that, that's kind of the, the starting place for, for this morning. This morning, the Lord wants to open our eyes specifically to the divine privileges that we've been given because there is a, there's a deception of a lower level of living that many people fall into um, because of the spirit of the age. And this lower plane of living starts at a lower view of God, but then because there's a lower view of God, there's a lower view of the works of God in our lives. And so we live down here on this lower level when God is calling us upward to live on a higher plane, to live with our eyes fixed on something beyond this world towards heavenly realities. That's God's will for our life. And that's what John's calling them upward into. So his prayer is that they would not be deceived. And, and, and to that end, he says that you have an anointing. You've received an anointing. He said it a few verses earlier as well. You've been anointed by the Holy One. So when you pledge your allegiance to Jesus, you confess him as Lord. You trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If there's that, that, that revelation in you given by Holy Spirit that Jesus truly is the son of the living God, that there's no other way to the Father except by Christ, and you place your confidence in that Holy Spirit comes to take up residence inside of you. You've received this anointing, and in that you are ushered in to certain divine privileges as a child of God, and that's what John here is gonna go into, the divine privileges of the children of God, and I want us to receive this from the word this morning. The divine privileges of the children of God that we are anointed with. Look in verse 28, and, and he says this, and now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And here it is. The climax verse of the morning, verse one. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Hear that from the voice of Grandfather John, who says it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So do not spurn the goodness of the Lord, the kindness of the Lord. We are children of God. We've been anointed with something that's divine, that's otherworldly. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. 
And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And not everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Verse four, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. There it is again. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So we are called and actually gifted with the privilege of being children of God. So do not be deceived to a lower plane of living. Otherwise, your judgment is just. Your judgment before the Lord that we will receive is, is it's coming, it's coming our way. And so we are called to live in a higher plane, this plane of being children of God, anointed with certain divine privileges. And the deception is for us to live on a lower level. The enemy is, is um, one who twists truth. He likes to manipulate truth. He's been doing it from the very beginning. Think back to the garden. He planted that question to Eve. Is that really what God said? That's one of his tactics to make us begin to question. Did the Lord really say that? Is that really what God said over your life? Is that really what the word of God speaks over you? And you begin to question. We begin to go down these, these trails. Another tactic of the enemy, or even the spirit of the age, is what, what the enemy pulled on Jesus in the temptations of Christ. In the second temptation, the enemy actually quoted scripture to Jesus himself. And the enemy has this way of even turning the revelation of God's word against his people. That's why we need to be humbly submitted to the Lord, our hearts tenderly open to him and his correction as he gently brings us back to himself. So I want to set up this morning by painting the picture of this anointing that we receive as children of God, but, but kind of break this passage down into three groups that the anointing um, would have easily been seen of or seen coming upon for, for these believers that are, are hearing this teaching. So for people that were hearing this teaching about this anointing, they would have thought of different special groups of people in the Old Testament that would have received the anointing of the Lord. This word anointing is not, it's not unique to John. This is common verbiage within uh, specifically Jewish teaching, within the Bible. For them, if they would have had the 39 books of the Old Testament, they would have seen this word anointing as this mark of God's chosen ones, of God's special people. So this morning, you can remember your mom's words, you are special. Um, but it's, it's beyond how she saw you as special. The Lord says you are special because of his perfect, sufficient work. And, and in that specialness is, is unleashed this robust trifecta of divine privileges. 
So it's kind of three groupings of these divine privileges. The first you can think of is the priestly anointing. So in the Old Testament, there was this anointing of the priests that took place. I'll actually just turn there. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it. Um, Exodus 29, there's the setting apart of the priests. So these are God's special people. The special people that got to actually tend to the presence of the Lord, minister to the presence. They got to come close. They got to come near to the presence of God. I mean, that's, that's special. Everyone else had to worship from afar, even kind of worship through the priest. They'd bring their sacrifices to the priest, but the priest got to come close. So these ones were special. But in order for them to come close into the presence of God, they, they were anointed. And so for, for them to be anointed, they physically would anoint them with oil. And that oil represented the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. This is Exodus 29. This is in the, the consecration of the priests, like the anointing of the priests as they're coming out of Egypt. They're moving towards the promised land. God's beginning to set in order this, uh, this whole different way of living. It says in verse 7, it's Exodus 29, verse 7, you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head and anoint him. So there it is. The anointing oil that will anoint him be poured on his head marking him as special, marking him as distinct from other people. Then he shall bring his sons and put coats on them, and he shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. And thus he shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So there was this priesthood established, I would say prophetically, forever. The Apostle John goes on in the book of Revelation to, to call us a kingdom of priests. So part of our specialness as children of God is this anointing as priests to God. A kingdom of priests. We're ones who come near to the Lord. We're ones who have this divine privilege to actually come into the Holy of Holies. Last year when we talked to the book of Hebrews, we talked about that. We can have confidence to come into the very holy of holies because of our great high priest, Jesus. And so we follow him into the holy of holies, not by our own works, but by his perfect work, his perfect sacrifice. And we get to actually have fellowship with God and we tend to his presence. The apostle Peter says it similar, that we are a priestly nation. We're a, a priesthood to the Lord. So this is part of our identity as children of God. We're anointed as priests. So what does that have to do with 1 John chapter three? Well, I think there's many priestly attributes that John calls out here. One is he talks about the purity, which I think points to the priestly anointing. In verse three, so 1 John chapter three, verse three, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Part of being, having the priestly duty of coming in to the fearful, holy presence of God was purity of life. And actually, your life depended on it. Like that sort of submission to the Lord. It's all by his grace, even in the old covenant, because no, no one could purify themselves to a, a level of perfection. It's all by the grace of God. But there was a level of sobriety and purity and, 
and wholehearted devotion to the Lord because they understood the sacredness of the things they were dealing with. That speaks to that priestly anointing that I pray will hit us. We have that. We are called to live with a sense of pure sobriety before the Lord. You know, the book of Proverbs actually calls that the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because it's this conscious awareness of the holy things that we are dealing with every day. And that's why the book of Proverbs is so so practical because everything can be sacred through the eyes of a priest in our dealings with money, in in our dealings with actual just hard labor, in our dealing with family, the establishment of our households. It's all very practical. There's a wisdom that is, is needed for it, but it's all through the lens of a fear of the Lord. It's all through the lens of, I'm doing this before the Lord. Therefore, I want to do it with purity. I want to do it rightly before the Lord. It speaks to our priestly anointing. I would say one of the most, um, um, what is the word? Um, darkest pictures of like the spurning of the priestly anointing is in the book of 1 Samuel where there's this wicked priest, Eli. And Eli and his sons had no regard for the presence of God that they they were called to tend to. They completely neglected it. It was all by the grace of God that they even just continued to live, that they were given another day. They, they spurned, they completely took it for granted. They were the, the spoiled, rotten, entitled kids that we, we all seek to um, you know, call our, our own kids out of. N- none of us want to raise a kid like that, but that was Eli. Eli was that, that brat who had been given everything on a silver platter to actually come into the presence of God, to tend to his presence, to have fellowship with Yahweh himself, but yet he spurned it. And it took God raising up a prophet in the, in the boy Samuel to call a nation away from that. So the Lord is calling a people and anointing them for himself, that's you and I, to have this priestly anointing. Lives consecrated for the Lord, consecrated to a life of worship. There's a reason that we've been devoting so much of our time over the last number of years to the place of worship and prayer. Because it is of utter importance to us as the people of God that we get that right. Worship and prayer. Not the outward big things, but the inward humble acts of submission to the Lord that come through prayer and worship. The house of prayer is built on a passage in Isaiah 56. So house of prayer gathers every Tuesday and Thursday and has been phenomenal. The, The atmosphere has just been so rich. But the whole premise of, uh, of the house of prayer is built on Isaiah 56, which Jesus quotes when he turns the tables in the Gospels. He quotes Isaiah 56. He says, my house should be called the house of prayer for all nations. But, but he described, the prophet Isaiah goes on to describe the house of prayer. And part of the, and the, the, actually the first description of the house of prayer are these ones who minister to the Lord people who minister to the Lord, which has become such a foreign concept in the Western church, in the modern church. The idea of ministering to the Lord. We think about serving people, obviously because Christ came and served us and he called us to serve others. But this idea of ministering to the Lord has become foreign. But I would say it's central to our identity as children of God. People who tend to the presence of God. We guard 
his sacred reality in our midst. We exalt him in our midst as the head of the church. And we do it purposefully, we do it intentionally, we do it in a, in a rhythm of discipline, week after week after week. And that's what makes his beauty so preeminent here. That's what makes his presence so rich here every, every time we gather in corporate places. It's attending to his presence from week to week, from day to day, amen. And it points to our priestly anointing. And so the deception here is for us to spurn the presence of God, for us to take for granted the coming near and the purity of life that's required of that. And that's what was at stake here for, for the believers that John was, was speaking to. People who took for granted this New Testament, new covenant age where we were, we were called to come into the presence of God. We take it for granted. We wake up, it feels like just a regular Monday, but it's not just a regular Monday because you're a child of God and you're invited into the presence of God. You feel like it's just another Sunday. And so we kind of we walk into our auditorium groggy and still with sleep in our eyes. But I'm telling you, it's not just another Sunday. Today is today and it's a sacred day. Today is a, God, a day that God has called a priestly people to come and tend his presence. So that's the urgency in John's voice, is purify yourselves. Don't fall into impurity, spurning the very presence of the Lord. There's anointing upon your life. So live with lives purely devoted to the Lord. The second anointing speaks to the prophet, the prophetic anointing. So in the, the Old Testament, there was the anointing of the prophets. And that would actually come through, you know, from Elijah to Elisha. There was the actual anointing of Elisha from the prophet Elijah. This idea that he is special. This man of God is going to be the mouthpiece for the people of God. It's God's special person. So now in this new covenant age, you can see how the gates have been swung wide open in Acts chapter 2 as Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he, he quotes the prophet Joel and he says, the spirit of God is being poured out on all flesh because my sons and daughters are gonna prophesy. The old men are gonna dream dreams, young men will see visions. My, the male and female servants, they'll be filled with the spirit and they shall prophesy. There's a reality that we have been given a prophetic anointing. What, what do I mean by that? We'll just allow the word of God to, to give it clarity. In verse 27, it says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, so you have no need that anyone should teach you. There's a breaking down of these barriers in the new, new covenant age, of which we used to look to prophets. We used to look to the choice, special person of God, the choice mouthpiece. But in this new covenant age, those barriers have been broken down. We can come near to the Lord and we can receive directly from him. How beautiful. We can receive directly from him because we've been anointed by Holy Spirit. What that oil meant to um, symbolize in the old covenant was Holy Spirit. That was the, the Holy Spirit coming upon a person. The Holy Spirit could not rest in that person because the work of Christ was not final yet. But the Holy Spirit would rest on those people for certain mighty exploits. The New Testament age changed all of that. And as we receive the finished work of Christ in faith, by grace, Spirit of God anoints us 
and anoints us with that prophetic edge so we can receive from the Lord. Do we hear perfectly? No. Do we see perfectly? No. Paul makes that clear. But those barriers, those mediators have been broken down. So we can come before the Lord, we can receive from him. And so what John was really trying to uh, caution these believers from is going and running to these teachers with itching ears and being so susceptible and so gullible to fall prey to these false teachers. He's going to call it out even later in 1 John 4 to be discerning of the spirit of the Antichrist in our age. But that's what he was calling out. Does that not sound similar to many believers today? With all of the resources that we have our way, people are running to and fro, trying to fill themselves with other things rather than going to the source itself. Rather than going before the Lord themselves, trying to receive from him with that spirit of a child, anointed as a child of God with that prophetic edge, we go running to and fro. Is John saying we don't need teachers in the church? Of course not. In fact, we need apostles, we need pastors, we need teachers, we need evangelists. Which one did I forget? We need all five. We need all five offices of the church. We need them all. But they, they, they serve certain roles for the building up and the edifying of the church. But us having apostles and teachers and pastors and prophets and evangelists doesn't take away the need from us as children of God to come before the Lord and to receive from him because the spirit of God lives in us. It can be both and. And I believe John is speaking to that very end. And so this prophetic anointing levels the playing field for you and I and actually calls us and activates us in the body of Christ for the, for the word of God to begin to be like a fire shut up in our bones as it was for the prophet Jeremiah. Read the prophets of the old covenant. And know that your identity in the new covenant is meant to look a lot more like like what they walked in, what they lived in. This anointing is upon you to set captives free, to preach good news to the poor. There's this prophetic edge upon your life where you're supposed to receive the word from the Lord and it's meant to be like a fire shut up in your bones that you just cannot keep quiet. It goes beyond your personality. It goes beyond just how you're wired. The, the destiny or the inheritance of every child of God is f- to receive from the Lord and for there to be a fresh word in your heart every day, for it to be like fresh bread that feeds you every single day. Yeah. You know, recently my son asked me at, at the breakfast table, he asked me, hey, Dad, what would you be if you weren't a pastor? And I, I kind of knew where he was going. He was, he was wondering kind of like, how would our life be different if I wasn't a pastor? It was really, really good conversation. So I, I actually have a secular degree in engineering. So I could go out and get a job as an engineer. But I would actually, I would actually bargain to say, my life wouldn't be all that different. I, I wouldn't be leading a church per se, but I can tell you in my, in my life, before being a pastor, when me and my wife were living on the Northwest in the Seattle area, me and my wife were leading all my prayer meetings, I was still discipling men. I was still volunteering in the detention center, mentoring young people, preaching the gospel. We'd still make an effort to go out into the streets and share the gospel with people. For if we would host you know, small group Bible studies just like we do now, we, we did that then. Much of our life, you know, outside of the, the nine to five, much of our life would look exactly the same 
because that is the call upon every child of God. That's the prophetic edge that's supposed to be on all of us. There's, some, there's supposed to be something that, that burns inside of us that we cannot keep quiet. In our coming and our going, we're talking about the Lord. There's something welling up in us that we, we cannot keep quiet. That's that prophetic anointing. And so what's the deception that's at risk here? Well, there's a couple. There's, there's the deception of falling prey to false teachers, but we'll get into that later in 1 John. There's the deception of filling ourselves with secondary knowledge rather than going to the source himself. But, but very, I would say urgently, I think there, there is the deception of living on a lower plane of, of living day to day that, that, is, that is absent of any sort of prophetic edge, that's, that's absent of any sort of um, urgency in our hearts. The prophets had a, an urgency in them to get this message out that the Lord had given to them. I think it's really interesting. Where is that verse? It says, the, word has not or the, the world does not receive you because, because you look like him, because, because we all appear to look like the Lord. So the world cannot receive us. That's that prophetic edge that I'm talking about. The old, the old covenant prophets, they weren't received by Israel or by Judah because there was this otherworldly message that they carried. And I believe the Lord wants to enlist a whole army of the children of God with that sort of prophetic anointing that bring, brings the word to the world with a certain urgency. And so I pray that we wouldn't fall short of anything less than that, amen? The third anointing is the anointing of kings. As you look into the, the Old Testament, you see that there was this anointing, and this actual anointing of oil upon kings. You see it in 1 Samuel 9, the anointing of Saul, so Israel's first king. You, you see it later in 1 Samuel 16, the anointing of David. That would be his successor. There was the, and they pour the oil on him, again, signifying, symbolizing a Holy, the Holy Spirit coming upon that person for a unique task, for a unique work, in a unique moment in human history. So you fast forward to this age. What's this age called? It's called the kingdom age, the age of the spirit of God, the church age. All of those things signify this moment in human history when there's an anointing upon us. There's an anointing that we have received and it's anointing to be a part of a kingdom. And I would say most of this passage that we just read, those first 10 verses of first John chapter three, speak to this life in the kingdom. And this anointing as uh, kingdom people that we receive. We've been anointed to live differently, to be different, to live victorious. There, there seemed to be this deception that the believers were falling into in John's uh, life where they would make excuses for their uh, their lifestyle, for their, their choices, and specifically their sin. And there was a, a, a teaching running rampant that, that, that would say that what we did in the flesh actually didn't matter all that much. There was like a spiritual realm that mattered, and that was the only thing that mattered, and what we did in the flesh didn't matter. It was the early precursors of Gnosticism. Well, John is getting ahead of that train. He is, he's calling that out. What we do in the natural matters 
and that our lives are called to look different. We're meant to be a kingdom people. We cannot continue to practice lawlessness. That's what he, call, that's what he says. This is, he calls out lawlessness. A kingdom has certain laws and ways of, of living. And so we cannot completely um, disregard those laws if we're truly submitted in this kingdom as children of God. We're called to be different. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who, who keeps on sinning either has seen him or known him. So little children, let no one deceive you. We need to practice righteousness. We need, we need to practice Alive, submitted to the Lord, victorious. I would say many believers um, live on this plane of living of like defeated, constantly defeated, like constantly beat up. And I want to call us out of that. The Lord wants us to live on a plane of him as our victor and us to look more and more like him. I think some people think just because we always try to think of the implications, which isn't always bad, but sometimes in our faith walk, we just need to take him at his word and trust him. But some people think, begin to get ahead and they, they think, you know, if, if, I tr- if I trust the Lord with this sort of victory, you know, what does that mean for tomorrow? Does that mean I'm gonna live in some sort of perfection? I, I've never seen that. I, I, don't, I don't think uh, people can live in perfection. So we start to go down these, these logical trails And the whole time, we're just looking for an out. We're looking for an out to live like we want to live. But I would say if we live today knowing that God does does not set us up for failure, he does not set us up to be defeated, that Christ came as our victor, and there is a way out every single time. I'm not not advocating for um, some sort of sinless perfection this side of heaven, but I am advocating for a way out of temptation every single time, that we can choose, that we are given an opportunity to choose every single time. That is kingdom living. It's a life of victory. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.